0: Welcome to another episode of the Bridging Theology podcast, which connects scholarship to Christian life. I'm Dr. Candace Smith, a member of the Bridging Theology hosting team, along with Drs. Beth Stovell, John Stovell, Kevin Hill, and Ryan Reed. And
1: I am Dr. Claudia Herrera-Montero. Today, we're very pleased to have with us Dr. Diana Hayes. Uh, Dr. Diana Hayes is a professor of Systematic Theology in the Department of Theology at Georgetown University. She's an emeritus professor, actually. Her areas of specialization are Womanist Theology, Black Theology, U.S. Liberation Theologies, Contextual Theologies, Religion and Public Life, and African American and Womanist Spirituality. Dr. Hayes is the first African-American woman to receive the Pontifical Doctor of Sacred Theology degree from the Catholic University of Louvain in Belgium. She also um, has two additional earned doctorates in the field of law and religious studies. She is the author of nine books and over 70 articles.
0: So this conversation will have three sections or movements today. We'll begin by discussing Dr. Hayes' scholarship. Then we'll explore how this connects to Christian life and the life of the church. Lastly, we will talk about what we call marginalia. And these are just some fun questions that help us get to know Dr. Hayes a bit more as a whole person. While these marginalia questions are sometimes seen as other things outside or separate from academic lives, we believe that these aspects um, of our lives actually inform who we are as scholars and people in very important ways.
1: Absolutely. Everything belongs. Dr. Hayes, welcome to the Bridging Theology podcast. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you. So we like to have a few icebreakers just to start out. Um, okay. So can you tell us just something about yourself that most people don't know?
2: Oh, dear. Now that's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> my life is sort of an open book. Um, I really can't think of anything that most people, Well, since my theological career started... Um, And I started in my 40s with that. I guess one thing they wouldn't know is that before I was a theologian, before I started studying theology, I was an uh, outdoors person. I used to spend my weekends and weeks, if I could, in the woods and in the mountains and in the rivers, doing anything that you could do out there. Uh, But sadly, uh, the call to become a theologian also brought... uh, illness, which prevented me from doing any more outdoor stuff. So I guess that's a good one.
0: Well, nice that you were outdoorsy, but sad that you had to kind of lose a little bit of it.
2: Yes. Yes. I miss it every fall, especially. I wish I were out there hiking up a mountain somewhere Mm. or falling off one.
0: Oh, not falling off.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was always the image I had of myself that I would pass away somewhere on a mountain hiking somewhere and just be sitting there watching the rivers and or something. And then I'd be gone, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen now.
1: Oh, yeah. But how, how important are the memories, you mm-hmm. know, oh, uh, the memories, are memories uh, uh, in, or uh, the historical memory that we keep in mm-hmm. our hearts and move us forward. It's, uh, Dr. Hayes, it's been a while since we visited, uh, together, uh, Few years ago, well, years ago. Sometimes we say years few ago, years, it's been, and, yeah. and it's been a while in Florida. How are you doing these days? Uh, I'm I'm interested. Doing well,
2: trying to keep busy, like I said, trying to finish my library, but also doing lectures online and doing uh, classes online. Oh. Usually at Oblate School of Theology, is where I'm a, a affiliated faculty now. Mm. But I've also been in Florida. Uh, at St. Thomas, till they wiped out their department. <laughs> I still haven't figured that one out yet. And then Xavier in uh, New Orleans.
1: Mm.
3: now it's
2: mainly uh, oblate.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful well thank you for sharing so much um with Mm -hmm. us about the icebreakers and we'll now transition to some of our questions about your scholarship um, and see how you see your vocation as a scholar so our podcast is about bridging scholars across the disciplines but also Mm -hmm. connecting the church to the academy we would love to know how you became a systematic theologian um and i know you kind of alluded to that, that it was later on in life. Um, so can you just share your story a little bit with us?
2: Okay. It's, it's a strange one sort of, um, I was a lawyer an attorney uh, for the state of New York, uh, up until 1980 in 79, I received what I can only call, say it was a call from God to, uh, Becoming Catholic because I was a Methodist, uh, one of the historically Black churches, the African Methodist Episcopal Zion, but I wasn't active in it. Um, I had left that church actively when I was about 16. Uh, I told my parents that I thought they were all hypocrites. You know, teenagers know so much (laughs) about. So, uh, my father had a fit and was going to, as he said, I was going to go even if he had to drag me behind the car. But fortunately, my mother just told him she didn't say she was leaving God, just the church. You have to give her time. So, Uh while my poor sisters went to church every weekend, I was able to lay in bed and read the comics. (laughs) So, uh, but when I was... um, 33, I think it was, 1979, I, um, no, 36, I think, I, um, like as I said, received what I felt was a call from God to become a Catholic.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And after long thinking about it, I said, well, I suppose I could do it, still not knowing why. And then once I became a Catholic, though, uh, I discovered that um God wanted me to become a theologian. And that was a a shock one because I didn't know what a theologian was. (laughs) Uh, I didn't know what theology was. And I had never heard of the Catholic university in in DC, but somehow, uh, and this is why I know God had his hand in it. Uh, I wrote a letter to a a nun that was at Catholic U that my priest who was bringing me into the church uh, knew and asked her, well, what, what did I have to do if I were gonna study theology? And she gave my letter to the Dean of the School of Theology at Catholic U. And apparently he looked over what I had said. I sort of sent her a resume and everything. And the next thing I knew uh, they had accepted me for the fall even though I hadn't yet applied. So like everything was set up and I finally realized, well, I can stop this, but I'll never be the same again, or I can continue to see what interesting things are going to happen as a result of it. And fortunately, my mother especially was with me all the way. She actually told me that she had always thought that one day I would become a Catholic um, because of certain things I had said or done when I was younger, but I don't remember those myself. But, uh, long story short, I entered Catholic university, um, in 1980 and because i was brand new both to the church and to the study i uh, chose the pontifical doctorate program uh which I, which was about a seven-year program oh. uh you got three degrees you got the uh, pontifical baccalaureate the licentiate and then finally the doctorate so i did my first five years of study at catholic u in uh, Washington, which were wonderful. It was love at first sight when I started reading the books and things like that. It was like my brain had been waiting for it all my life. And then my bishop, uh, Howard Hubbard in Albany, recommended that I go somewhere else for the actual doctorate so that I wouldn't be just uh, in one, you know, how each school has its own sort of field. You know, you're either Thomist or you're a Neo-Scholastic or something like that. He wanted me to go to the Greg in uh, Rome, which is where he had gone, but I felt that was a little, as I told him, a little too close to the flames. <laughs> that was when John Paul was busy imp- imposing discipline. So then he suggested Louvain, and I ended up going there. And then later wished I had gone there even sooner because they were a lot less expensive than Catholic Q was. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, that's how I ended up. I did uh, uh, three years in, uh, yeah, three years in Belgium instead of two. So I did eight years instead of seven because I had to do the licentiate, uh, take courses in the licentiate. Again, even though they didn't make me rewrite the the dissertation, thank goodness they <laughs> accepted the one submitted in uh, in Washington. So that's and the next thing I knew, I was a Catholic theologian. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know that I was the first African American woman to uh, mm-hmm. to do this until people started saying that to me, and I said, "Oh well, that's nice, you know, big nice. What <laughs> is it going to do me?" Um, and I've been trying ever since to to tempt others to go, but so far I haven't been successful. I guess I'm a poor leader in that sense. But at the other hand, I can understand for them, especially if they were already Catholic, the thought of doing seven or eight years of study uh, is probably horrific, you know, when you can do a PhD in, in four to five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was hungry for what they were feeding me. I was hungry for the knowledge because I didn't know a thing. I didn't know anything about the Catholic church, except the, the horror stories, you know, you hear from non-Catholics mm-hmm. and some Catholics. So that's how I uh, ended up with the uh, STD.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And Because you're there for so long and have done so much work, you, they also give you the PhD. So that's mm-hmm. how
1: I If I may ask, what was your dissertation on?
2: Uh, it was on the possibilities of an American liberation theology.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the so
2: reasons, I'm sorry, keep going. So I was just saying, so I contrasted uh, Hispanic, uh, U.S. Hispanic, uh, U.S. Black, uh, and U.S. White theology. Um, and uh, came up with, you know, that we needed to, to somehow work these through together. And it became the basis, actually, it's never been published, but it became the basis for my uh, first, my, one of my first classes that I taught uh, at Georgetown. It was oh, called an American Liberation Theology. And we would explore these different theologies. And at the end, the students had to present a paper on the, whether it was possible to have a U.S. theology or not,
1: mm.
3: so it was good.
1: That is so wonderful. One of the reasons um, I'm asking this question, um, it's because I'm interested if the work of your dissertation actually mm. took you to your to your work um, mm-hmm. uh, on womanist uh, uh, theology. Um, as, as as a Latina theologian, I dialogue with sources um, from Ah, uh, mujerista theology, right. Latina theology, uh, that and particularly mujerista theology that begins to arise during this time that womenist theologians were significantly shaping the theological mm-hmm. uh, discourse. Mm-hmm. So right. I'm interested in this case in the work of womanist theology and your work as a, a in the in in womanist theology. Right. And so would you be able to share with us about your work and the work of womanist theology uh, and why it's important within the theological discourse?
2: Right. Well, the first time I heard the term womanist theology uh, was uh, in 1985, I think. Uh, May of 85, one of my housemates gave me Alice Walker's book, The mm-hmm. uh, on our mother's gardens, in search of our mother's gardens, mm-hmm. and it was like a eureka moment. I remember reading it, and suddenly it was like it finally everything became clear. I said, "That's what I am. I am a womanist." Because I kept telling the the other women in at CU, they would immediately say, "Well, you're a feminist." I said, "No, no, no, I'm not." Well, what else can you be if you're not a feminist? I said, "Don't know, but there's something I know." Feminist doesn't fit me. Uh, And uh, we um, reading that book and then listening to, beginning to meet some of the other uh, womanist theologians helped me to realize that that's what I was. So I knew almost immediately that that's what I was. I was a womanist theologian. And then I had to work not only to share with others, but especially to share with other Catholic women what who were, you know, tending to be feminist, uh, what a, a womanist theologian was and where they belonged as womanist as, as women as of, of color in this country. So it was a wonderful, you could say, breath to be able to read Alice Walker's work and then begin to read uh not Kelly, uh, Kelly was later, but um Cannon. Yes, from Katie Cannon, uh Jackie Grant
3: mm-hmm. and, I got
2: their books and would just soak them up. And then when I got out of, uh, when I finished my doctorate and was hired at uh, Georgetown, I began to include more stuff from their writing in my classes in theology because I wanted to, wanted my young people, you know, my students to know that there were alternatives. We don't all have to be feminists. Right. We don't all have to be black theologians, but there are in other theologies and as a matter of fact, I think it was my third or fourth year, but I'm not sure at Georgetown that I met a young woman who was just blown away. She came to my classroom or my office after class. And she said to me, is there really a Hispanic theology? Cause she was Hispanic. I said, yes, there is. Well do you have anything? And I gave her like three books, I think, on it, including uh, Ada Maria's uh, Mujerista okay. Theology. And she came back. She was just blown away. She said, that's what I want to do. I said, uh-huh. what? She says, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Latina feminist. I said, okay, what does that mean? I don't know, but I'm working on it. And uh, she went on to, I'm trying to remember her name, and I know it perfectly, but of course... Um, Uh, Michelle Michelle Michelle. Yes And she always talks about the fact Well, I learned about Hispanic theology Through black theology Uh, So I remember I sent her to uh, Study in Union uh, With James Cone Because I know she'd get a good introduction Usually whenever I had a really good student I'd send them to Union And then after that They'd go, you know Wherever they wanted to go I think she went somewhere else For her doctorate Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure I think California Yes and now she's—I always say she's a high muckety buck now at Grant <laughs> University. But uh, yeah, yeah. I was very proud of her.
1: Oh, very proud. She was part of one of my dissertation mentors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, oh, is she? yes, uh-huh. Michelle was one of my uh, readers. Wonderful. Yeah. One. Well, she was a That's how these things pass on and pass yes. down. So that.
2: We continue. The legacy continues. I taught her. She teaches you. And then you will teach someone else. And we all had a hand in that. Mm. Uh, And we're able to understand each other because we all come from similar backgrounds. Mm. You know, we're not usually not wealthy, Mm -hmm. uh, usually uh, persons of color. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've experienced uh, what Walker or Mm -hmm. Ada Maria or Michelle Is talking about in their books, and and there's that little. Now I understand. This Mm. is what I've been experiencing, and helps to to pull them in together, and it's wonderful. Mm. I love it.
0: So powerful. Yes, Um, and I, you know, I'm. As you were talking, it was making me think about. Um, Even using the work, I hope that you do eventually go on to publish something about the American, the possibilities of American liberation. Oh, I
2: know. I still would like like to. We
0: need that, especially right now but one of the things that keeps coming up is like the global perspective of that. So how all of them intersect.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and
0: I'm, I've always been moved from the time that I met you, like speaking at the the lectures at St. Thomas, um, Mm -hmm. and even sitting in, in your classes, um, just your move from connecting like blackness or the history of blacks in the Catholic faith tradition. Um, yes. it's something that even going to Catholic high school, I didn't hear a lot about. Um, right. So I didn't no. actually start making some of those connections until my doctoral program, but right. I'm interested to see, I guess looping all of that together, how, how, all of your other degrees as well connect like how have all of those things so your law degree um Mm -hmm. and the religious studies and then even all of your experiences how have how have those things connected and shaped your scholarship
2: right well one of the first things i realized when i started studying at catholic u in dc was that i had not wasted my time uh going to law school uh, I don't know if I would have had the courage to do what I was doing if I had not gone to law school first because everyone used to say you know well law school is hard and you're not going to be able to do it and it takes a lot of this that and the other and <laughs> in actuality for me law school is sort of a breeze I used to go backpacking every weekend not study uh, but that was how I was you know raised I, I had the ability thankfully to have wonderful memory. I, I used to anyway, uh, I, uh, can read something and retain it mm-hmm. and, you know, then add it. And I began to see how I could use the legal. It's like, you got the, uh, the legal perspective. I used to say to people, I would uh, put the two together. You'd have the law on one side, which showed you what was wrong, what was missing, what was needed to be done. So you know somebody who's doing something wrong, you can knock them down. You hit them with the law.
3: Mm-hmm. I said,
2: but then you bring in the theological arguments to support those legal arguments, mm-hmm. and so then you can just knock them down with God. So it's a it's a two it's a two timer, you know, mm-hmm. pop and then pop. Uh, yeah, that's not uh, nonviolent, but sometimes you have to be nonviolent. <laughs> I think, uh, and for me, the law simply backed up. What I was trying to do, because you could look at the laws and say, you know, well, not only is this uh, against the Constitution, Uh but it's against the teachings of God. You all claim to be Christians, and yet you're destroying God's people and God's earth, you know, Uh every time you turn around, especially, I won't say who, but you know who I'm (laughs) talking about. And it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. So having both of those, because I still read law books, I still read, you know, books that talk about legal issues and everything. And then I add the, um, uh, theological aspects to them. And to me, that gives me a, a double whammy, you could oh, say, wow. uh, which I think is, is desperately needed yeah. in this world today. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And actually, one of the aspects that um, I'm, I, I'm very interested about your work is that or your contributions is that you speak to the three publics of the academy the church and the society mm-hmm.
2: um that's what i tried to do
1: and not just the academy in which uh, right. some people have access to or mm-hmm. the church even but the three right. publics of the church the academy and and and, and the society
2: exactly <laughs> yeah that and that's deliberate really well it's not just deliberate it's i never even thought about what I was doing until someone pointed it out, that that was what I was doing. But to me, it just makes common sense. Mm-hmm. You can't take the academy away from society. You can't take the church away from society. They all interact. and mm-hmm. This is what I love about Pope Francis because he's showing us that himself with his the writing that he does, uh, where he brings in legal aspects as well as the theological aspects to show a grounding for Uh, what he's trying to to talk about. For example, the whole Synod thing, which I think is wonderful, Mm -hmm. and that we're finally beginning to, hopefully, beginning to talk to each other. Uh, And when we have these Synods in uh, the fall, oh, I wish I could go to one, but uh, it would be lovely. We did it in in our parish, and uh, I, I, um, what do you call it? led mm-hmm. uh, a session, a listening session oh, for wow. the synod in, in my parish. Uh, and that was wonderful, but there's so many people who need to be heard. And just, it's just like when I first came into the church and came to DC, Cardinal Hickey was there and they were actually doing uh, these sort of synods. They they actually invited the people of the diocese, the archdiocese, to come together and to talk Mm -hmm. about these issues. And that's how we got the um, uh, economics letter and we got the letter on peace. Mm -hmm. And then they were working on a letter on women, which unfortunately Pope uh, John Paul II then took over and rewrote and it's... Has nothing to do with women that I know, anyway. <laughs> but uh, I guess the other letters were so powerful that he was afraid they may, you know, might set something <laughs> loose. But Francis is inviting us to let something loose, to to talk about what is of main concern to you. And I'm hoping that out of these synods will come uh, statements and doctrines, even teachings that bring us together.
3: Uh-huh, okay.
2: So these are, these are really important yeah. issues that we're trying to deal with today. And we have to deal with them because the American bishops, I think many of them are, are just crazy. Uh-huh. Uh, I look at, And I know quite a few of them I knew before they became bishops, you know, and they were wonderful people. Then they became bishops and you say, well, what happened to you? You know, well, you can't even say that because they no longer talk to you, mm. you know, they become bishops and they're too proper and important. And and I'm not speaking of, of black bishops only. I'm speaking of all of them because I used to know quite a few. They were my classmates, you know, oh. and to see them uh, um, now talking totally opposite to what they used to in terms of liberation and and. Uh, helping the poor and working with the outcasts and you look what happened to you but you know what what happened is is the bishopric that important that you buried everything just so you could qualify mm-hmm. well unfortunately now they're seeing that that's not going to work with Francis he wants the ones who are willing to talk to people who are willing to work with the the poor and the oppressed and all of that so uh, I was very happy when several of them who just knew they were going to become cardinals did not become cardinals. <laughs> and, you know, you say, well, you know, you shouldn't gloat. And I don't gloat. But I just said, you need to think about who you were and what's happening to you now. And is it really worth it to give up all of that? So to me, the the the, the church is a vital Part of society. You can't have a church that is totally isolated.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's not a church. That's mm-hmm. a, I don't know, a club or a party group or something like mm-hmm. that. And we really need to have a church that is engaged with academia, but also is mm-hmm. engaged society.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Amen. I, I have to say this to these the culture of encounter, the culture of encuentro that. Mm-hmm. That uh, exactly. uh, Francis is, is talking about. Actually, one of my one of one of your books, particularly, called my attention, or the titles of your book, uh, uh, that even go back to the to 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 who we are and where we come from. You know, as uh-huh. a woman and standing in the shoes of my mother maid.
2: Oh yes, is, is,
1: is there any particular intentionality about the role and the wisdom? Of, of of the mothers the grandmothers exactly. the aunties the women elders and how this has influenced in one way yeah. or another the work of women without in theology, them we would be work, here yes mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: without them we would not be here uh we don't talk about it enough and we don't listen to them enough mm-hmm. but they're the backbone without the mothers the aunties the grandmothers the the sisters uh who you know may not talk a lot in front of people but who talk a lot between mm-hmm. themselves uh we we can see their wisdom There they're, they're the structure upon which the church and society, and even the academy. And we spent so much time, wasted so much time trying to keep women out of things. And if we had let them in from the beginning, we'd be a totally different world today. Totally different world. Um, I think of my own mother. If, if, If my mother hadn't been my mother, I wouldn't be here talking to you today but Mm -hmm. she was the one she had a sixth grade education she had to stop uh, going to school which she loved uh, because she had to help take care of her family there were seven kids I think in the family plus two uh, step sisters two stepsisters so that's what nine kids Mm -hmm. Uh, so she had to leave when she was uh, like I said in about sixth grade to to work in a House, you know, as a uh, maid, as a cook, as a sh- uh, dishwasher, you know, sweeper up. Um, and the stories she told me of those experiences, oh, it used to just make me so angry. Uh, but she was brilliant. She had the mind of a woman who had, I don't know, 10 doctorates, I would say, because she knew, like I say in the book, she knew what we didn't know
3: mm-hmm.
2: but that she knew we needed would need as we went further down the line whenever i i started feeling that i was you know making a mistake that i shouldn't be doing this i could talk to her and she would say no this is you know this is what you this is what you're trying to do and this is what you need to do and you're doing it you know, she said, "Yeah, it's going to be difficult. It's not always going to be people welcoming you. They're going to some of them are going to hate you and everything. But if you really think this is important, then you have to to keep up with it." And she really set my um, what do I want to say? Set my the path before me. She helped with God to to show me the way I needed to go. When I was ten years old, I made a, a promise to God. Uh, I committed myself to God, basically. Uh, I was 10, you know, and I didn't know I was going to be a Catholic or anything like that. But I just Mm -hmm. told God that if you would let me help my mother and my sisters, I would uh, be his for whatever he, I would not marry, I would not have children. And that's how I lived my life as a vowed celibate. Even though, as I said, at 10, I really didn't know what I was saying other than that. I knew that meant I would not marry. And uh, sadly, because my father was uh, an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when he was in, in under the influence of drink, he would beat my mother. And then he would beat my oldest sister because she was so much like my mother. And I said, somebody has to be there to, to keep them safe. You know, I can't mm-hmm. go and it's funny when you think I'm the one, only one in the family that's really traveled all over the world and everything. But I would go out in, in, in a sense to do these things and they would reawaken me. They would refresh my mind. They would help me to understand that what I was doing was important. And then I could come back home to them, especially to my mother and sort of recuperate, uh, revive myself. And that was, uh, Very important to me. So she lived with me uh, the last 10 years of her life. She finally left, uh, separated from my father, and lived in Buffalo on her own. And then, but she was waiting patiently, as she put it, until I finally went behind the desk instead of in Mm -hmm. front of it. And when I did and um, got the job in in Washington and moved there, she moved there with me. And we had uh, 10 wonderful years together before she sadly passed away. But uh, she kept me in, what's the word I want? She helped me to see what was important in my life. You know, I would say, I read, all I do is read and write and, and, you know, she said, but that's what you're supposed to do. You read and what you read, you put into your books that you write and then you talk about it. One of her last words to me was, you know, don't stop talking, don't stop lecturing, don't stop writing your books. Um, Uh which was very hard because I just wanted to basically sit down and die myself when she died. But, Uh um, I realized I had to go on because I had, like Frost said, I had promises to keep, Uh uh, people who I knew young people coming up now who, uh, would hopefully, uh, find what I had to say important and helpful and, uh, be able to use it to set their lives on a track that. So I was glad that I was at Georgetown with, mm-hmm. with an undergraduate program, because to me that was where it started, really started. I mean, mm-hmm. you can do it in high school, but the, the college is where you really begin to think about where you want to go
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, in life. I started in, when I was uh, that age, I started majoring in organic chemistry. Mm-hmm. Next year, I switched to um, German and French. And finally, in my senior year, summer before my senior year, I switched to pre-law because of influences from others, especially Bobby Kennedy. Mm. I think that's one of the questions you ask later. Um, I was very much influenced and and participated uh, in his uh, presidential campaign in 1968 uh, that's the first time I had ever done anything uh, like that. Because I was the odd thing was that with all this stuff I was trying to do, I was also very shy. I was very introverted, mm. and so I didn't know how to speak in public and things like that. It took me, I think, the whole first semester at Georgetown to finally stop just reading from a book or or something like that to actually. Talking to my students face to uh, face because I was terrified of public speaking, but mm-hmm. I knew something I had to do.
0: Wow! Such an amazing. Thank you for like such an amazing story or stories of your. Know, Sometimes um, I
2: think it's crazy, but <laughs>
0: but it all I feel like it all works it's worked itself out and just the right. practical wisdom exactly. of your mom where mm-hmm. I love what you were saying about how it was like she had 10 doctorates inside of her, but yes, she gave yes. you that practical wisdom that you needed to continue on. Exactly. So. She
2: kept me sane the whole time. And she, you know, she would give me permission. I didn't need permission, but I, she would basically, you know, well, you want to do this? That's all right. And now, how does that fit with what you've been doing here? And like I said, when I decided to become a Catholic, I thought she, you know, say, "Why in God's name do you want to be a Catholic? We're Methodists. We've been Methodists for, you know, generations." But she said, "No, uh, if that's what you feel that you should be." then you need to at least look into it and see, you know, what happens
3: mm-hmm.
2: and explore it. And when I did and fell in love with it and she said, well, then, and that's when she told me that I used to, uh, that I had found some uh, prayers, uh, Catholic prayers somewhere, I don't know where, mm-hmm. and would say them at night, the Ave Maria and uh, 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 others like that, you know, in that, I don't remember it now, but she says I was quite young at the time, and I used to watch Bishop, uh, the Bishop of Rochester, uh, when he did his t- television show, I said it was probably because he had a cape, he reminded me of, of a vampire, <laughs> but he, you know, he used to say some interesting things, so, but I hadn't even remembered any of that, so she reminded me, so, God has mysterious ways
0: mm-hmm.
2: to, to truly, to bring you.
0: Well, that's um, leading us up to the next part. So you uh-huh. actually gave a good segue into the next part. Okay. We're going to talk about um, focusing on connecting scholarship to the church and Christian mm-hmm. life. Um, and I know you talked about before you were raised and formed in the AME Zion Church. Right. And then you switched to um, the Catholic faith tradition. Um And I love the nuances that you had where in the AME Zion church, um, you weren't as active, but you found your space in the Catholic Mm -hmm. church. Could you share why it's important for you to still remain active in the church now? And even as you've been an academic, like bridging those gaps, you shared a little Mm -hmm. bit You want to share any more?
2: Well, I couldn't leave the Catholic church. Now, people will ask me, why in the world? Uh, some of them say it this way. Why in the world would a sane, intelligent Black woman become a Catholic? And when they first would say that, I, I, it used to trouble me because I said, well, you know, am I being crazy to do this? Am I doing something wrong? But as I said, I realized that that's where I belonged. Uh, that's where I needed to be. And uh, I was able to respond to them by saying, because this is where God called me to be. And I have decided I'm not going to fight with God of all people. Uh, And so that sort of throws them a little bit. But then I I tried to explain to them how important it is that I found a voice within me that has to speak and has to speak out and has to speak out not just at this, the, the, the college university level, but has to speak out in, in society, in the church itself. Uh, so I do a lot of lecturing and talks for Catholic groups, for, you know, I go to different dioceses all over the country and speak. I also speak at different Catholic schools. Um, and I, um, of course, speak at, uh, lec- you know, lecture in universities and stuff. Uh, and I think people see, or I hope people see or hear in me, uh, I guess you would say a challenge in some mm-hmm. ways. Too,
3: mm-hmm.
2: that sure, it's easy to just say, oh, I'm sick of this church and leave it. Mm-hmm and run away because that to me is what it is. You're running away mm-hmm. instead of saying, no, this is wrong. I'm not mm-hmm. going to let them do this to my church. Mm-hmm. And I am going to fight with all I have by speaking out, by talking, by meeting people and working with them to make it better, to change yeah. it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and even in the midst of, of, of that uh, dynamic, uh, what challenges do do you think women of color face in theological education or the academy and the church today?
2: Well, basically just the fact that they're women of color, sadly, there's still a lot of people are still a lot of people out there who believe that women themselves don't have a voice, shouldn't have a voice in theology, and women of color, especially shouldn't have a voice. They don't know what they're talking about. But as we can see by the numbers of women, I mean, the numbers of women in the Catholic Church studying theology, I think, are almost equal to, if not greater than, the number of men now. Uh, Even though we cannot be ordained, even though we can't can't even get the deaconate women, are saying, you know, we have something to say. We have something to say in the Catholic Church, and we are going to say it regardless of, you know, your fear mm-hmm. of, of us, because that's what it really is. It's uh, it's a fear of womanhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but women have a voice, and it's a necessary voice, And but it's still difficult. I mean, there's mm-hmm. still... Um, um, obstacles, there's still people trying to block our way, Uh, people who question what we're trying to say, people who question the theologies we teach, womanist theology, or mujerista, or Latina feminist, or Asian American. Uh, But when we come together and talk with each other, we can recognize that current of truth, I think, that goes through all of our writings and all of our speeches And enables us, you know, one, it helps to know that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I first started teaching at Georgetown, I'm trying to think I was, uh, the first, uh, black woman to receive a doctorate in theology, uh, after 19, you know, in the, in the second half of the, of the 20th century, uh, Thea Bowman and others, brilliant women, but none of them had doctorates in theology. Mm-hmm. And then after me, I think Sean Copeland came and mm-hmm. uh, Jamie Phelps came. And today, oh, it's just wonderful. I taught a class at Emory this a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. And my class was packed. And like, where are these people coming from? And they were all Black women, except for two men, two Black men and three White women, mm-hmm. uh, and I was very glad the white women came because they need to hear what I'm trying to say. Also, mm-hmm. but as a result of that, I now have uh, several uh, doctoral students. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a, one of the readers on their doctorate or something like that. But more importantly, they were so hungry. I realized for what I was trying to to say to them, what I was hoping they would understand, mm-hmm. and now. Uh, many of them are out there. They graduated, you know, that year or the next year, and are out there teaching and changing uh, the world around us, just like I tried to do. And are much more successful, I think, of it because there are more of them. Uh, when we started the Black Catholic Theological Symposium, uh, which is sort of like our professional uh, society, uh, it was started in 19. 19- 70, I think, or I don't remember the exact date, but there were, most of the, the members were priests and sisters. They didn't have doctorates, but they had a, a fierce love of the church and of their right to speak in it. Uh, we revived it in the, uh, I think in the 80s. Uh, there still were very few with doctorates. And now we have so many doctorates or doctoral candidates in, in the membership that it just, to me, it just makes my heart burst because you said God, well, I can definitely say I'm no longer alone. <laughs> and I tell them, I say, don't worry about thinking that you're, you know, overstepping anything. I am not the guardian of this, this knowledge. Don't worry about... Um, thinking you're stepping on my toes. I mm-hmm. think speak what you want to speak, what you need to speak. And I applaud you for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because mm-hmm. I was teaching and writing and talking everywhere. And it was getting exhausting mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, sometimes I said, I think they invite me simply because they want to see if I have ears and a tail or something. Uh, and, I'd get there and discover well yeah, that's sort of you know they had never heard of a black theologian before and they wanted to see what she looked like but usually I managed to win them over. there were some that were sort of iffy mm-hmm. um, it was you know you 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 discover I discovered more about myself wrangling with them
3: mm-hmm.
2: but also working with them and working with the new ones that are now coming up Brian Massingale who mm-hmm. I met while he was still at in school in, in Rome, we had a conference in Rome and I remember him coming up to me and, in, and, in, in, uh, uh, introducing himself. And I was so happy. He said, you're going to do ethics. Okay. Mm-hmm. I said, and you're doing your doctorate. Wonderful. I look forward to seeing you when you're done, you know, and come back and now he's just marvelous. He's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and others like him. So, uh, Vanessa white and, mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, our late Shawnee uh, Daniel Sykes, who sadly just passed away this last year. Um, but um, I think it's, you know, we, we finally have a large enough group that I think that can make an impact uh, on our world and our society. One of the books I would love to do, I did one with um, a Hispanic friend. I'm trying to think of the name of it, The Bridge, something with the bridge in it. And we wrote from our different perspectives. And I think that was a very popular book. And I'd like to see us do something like that Mm -hmm. again, you know, uh, 20 years later, where, where are we in, in terms of, uh, the battle for, uh, liberation? Mm -hmm. Uh, James Cone is gone, sadly. Uh, Katie, uh, Cannon is gone. So the two founders in a sense are, are gone where are we picking up and what are we doing? And for example, now we're getting the biblical theologians. We didn't have those.
3: At, mm. at the
2: beginning. But now they're beginning to look into those things. And, and it's just wonderful. I'm just thrilled at what's happening.
0: Yeah. So um, it sounds like you've been able to find spaces of hope that like Reaffirm your voice and that this mm-hmm. is the space that God designed specially yes. for you and others. So, um, I know we've been living in very unprecedented times. Um, can you That's just share, sure. like, what are some of the spiritual disciplines in our practices that have sustained you? And then just where can you pinpoint those places of hope in your life?
2: Mm. That's a little tricky, I have to admit. Um, I, I learn through books. I'm a living, breathing bibliophile. I love reading. I love yeah. to learn, I, you know, which as you can see by this library. Um, and so for me, uh, reading, uh, the I read uh, the uh, prayer book, um, mm-hmm. Uh, What is it? Give Us This Day, that liturgical press puts out. I usually read that in the morning for morning prayer. Um, But I find myself basically, really, honestly, just talking and mumbling, I guess you could say, to God all day long. Mm I, 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 said to him, I said, I fuss at him all the time. He said, now, why is this happening today? And why did you say that it was all right? You know, when are you going to talk to these people about what's going on? So we have a nice relationship, you know, because I just fussed. <laughs> I, can, I picture him laughing and saying, oh, this woman's going to drive me crazy. And then you know, eventually he, he responds. And it may not be in the way I wanted him to respond. I mean, one of the things I really fuss with him about is my health. Mm. Uh, which is terrible, sadly. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis, I never knew it did to you what it does to you, mm. and it does everything to me. Mm. Uh, so, uh, but then I think, well, you know, he's giving you a chance to rest for a couple of months while you're battling this. Mm. So, but I don't want to rest. I got things I need to do. Mm. <laughs> you know, he said, well, no, but you need to rest because otherwise you're going to kick the bucket earlier and we want you to hang around for a while mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, it's that that kind of thing we have and then um going to mass of course on Sundays Saturdays or Sundays usually mm-hmm. um, watching I love uh classical music and mm-hmm. opera and mm-hmm. things like that listening to but I also love jazz and mm-hmm. and you know R&B and all that so listening to music Really grounds me and helps me to uh, focus on things. My spirituality basically is just trying to be open to whatever God is trying to tell me, uh, which usually is, you know, okay. I get a feeling you want to talk to me now. What's going on? Or after I've had a bad bout of of uh, I get lung infections. Mm-hmm. Uh, just last month, and uh, I'm laying there in bed. And I said, okay, obviously you're trying to tell me something. What is it that you're trying to tell me now? And it sounds crazy, but for some reason, uh, the Lord and I seem to speak to each other through my illnesses. I am
3: mm-hmm.
2: telling him, I wish you'd find a different way to communicate <laughs> so I don't have to get sick. But at the same time,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's reassuring to know that we're communicating Mm -hmm. and that that's happening. So, Mm
3: -hmm. uh,
2: so there's no really organized way of doing spirituality. I'm trying to, to get, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm trying to get the time to go on retreat. Um, Mm -hmm. The uh, Trappist monks um, are right down the street from where I live practically in Conyers, uh, Georgia, Holy Spirit. And I very much wanted to go and spend a weekend and possibly a week with them. Uh, but it's like, I'm always too busy. My weekends are filled with writing. My weekends were filled with traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm still, you know, doing things on the weekend meetings mm-hmm. and conferences and stuff mm-hmm. But I've got to start mm-hmm. to slow down. I'm yeah. 75. Mm-hmm. I've got to start to slow down and, you know, Get back in, in real touch with you, and I need to do that at a at a retreat retreat center. So hopefully, I'll be doing that in the next year or so.
1: I I love how you're saying, um, uh, Dr. Hayes, there is no organized way mm-hmm. because um, it's in it's in our everyday life. Uh, it's in the messiness of life <laughs> where. Right. Actually, actually, Ada Maria and Michelle Gonzalez speak on that. You know, like, uh, you know, it's in the messiness of life where beauty Mm -hmm. and, and we, we encounter, you know, a, a God. And, and I love how you, how you mentioned. So thank you so much for, for your wisdom, for, for all you have to teach us, uh, Candace and I. We are junior theologians, uh, and, and for us, this is this is such an honor to to listen to you. to, to your to your wisdom. Be, and before we move to the to, to the last uh, questions, um, mm-hmm. I, I want to take this opportunity as well. We're celebrating uh, Women's History Month. We're recording these. Right. We're record, We're precisely recording these uh, podcasts uh, during Women's History Month. So, right. I would like to take the opportunity to to ask you what words of wisdom would you like to share with uh, junior scholars like Candace and I, uh, who, mm. uh, and in general, uh, women of color or women across the academy and, and right. in the church and the public and, and the society, um, uh, what words of wisdom would you like to offer us? So as you said, we keep on the work uh, that we have and we stand on the shoes mm-hmm. of our mothers, of our elders. Yes. yes. <laughs> so,
2: yes. Um, I guess my main uh, advice would be not to give up. Hang in there. Have hope. Listen to God. Trust in God. Because doing those things... Uh, Especially when you're at your busiest, will enable you to slow down a little, take a breath, and say, Okay, now where is this leading me? Where is this taking me? How should I redirect this? Because when I was in school, uh, there were different things that happened to me that, you know, at first would look like roadblocks. And then I'd realize, Well, no, there's a way I can either do an in run around them or I can just smash through. Um, and uh, those helped me to realize that I had more strength than I thought I did, that I had more faith than I thought I did, uh, and that I wasn't going to give up. Because several times, for example, at Catholic Youth, uh, they would um, not so much threaten, but they would hint that uh, they were going to stop my scholarship and give it to, uh, as the dean put it, give it to uh, African priests. Uh, Mm -hmm. And don't you want to support African priests? I said, well, of course I want to support African priests. I said, but I want to support African-American women as Mm -hmm. well. And you're
3: not doing that because
2: I'm the only one in this whole bloody school, except for Jamie. And uh, Mm -hmm. the last time that happened, I was in my last year of the license. And he was saying I should switch to the, I think they uh, had accepted me as a pontifical candidate, assuming I wouldn't make it past the first or second years, here oh. I was now in my license uh, going strong. And he said, Well, you know, if you, if you uh, instead of doing this, you, you just, you would only have like another year to, oh. to write your dissertation. And I said, No, I'm in the pontifical program and I intend to stay in it. Because for me, that program, when I looked at it, provided all the knowledge I needed as yeah. a brand new Catholic. I didn't know a thing about the Catholic church. I'd been a Catholic six months
3: yeah.
2: when I went to Catholic university, you know? Um, so, and, you know, and I said, no, I'm not. I don't want to to switch. Well, we may not be able to give you your scholarship. And I went, I went back and I called my bishop and I called another bishop that I knew I said, is there anything you can do? And so well, I don't know. We'll see. And then the next day I came back and says, we've reinstated your scholarship. You're fine. Go away. <laughs> but you have to have that hope. I said, they're not going to stop me by this. Even if they had taken it away, I would have found another way. And as it turned out, I ended up working part-time for the archdiocese as an attorney. So, you know, I said, see that? And I mean, attorney was at that time making very decent, you know, $25 an hour Mm. to to legal work, uh, which I could do with no problem whatsoever. It didn't take up my time or anything, and I was actually enjoying it. I was the lobbyist for the archdiocese for the District of Columbia Mm. and was able to do some important things uh that saved the lives I feel of many people. So uh, by, by fighting against the budget that they were going to do and things like that. So never give up. Never doubt yourself. Keep the faith. Mm-hmm. And I guess the last would be go to God. If, if things are just overwhelming, sit yourself down in your bedroom, in your kitchen, doesn't matter where, at church, in a shrine. Sit down and don't talk. Sit down. And listen. See what God is trying to tell you.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: And it may not be easy, but it's the right way.
0: Amazing. Good advice. Thank you. you.
2: I try. I keep trying.
0: (laughs) So we're going to move to the last section of the show, which we call Marginalia. So these are our short, fun questions just designed Uh to help us get to know you a little bit more. So the first question is: If you won an all-inclusive trip anywhere in the world, where would you go? Africa. Ooh, anywhere specifically? Africa. All of all, of, you want to go <laughs> Africa? Oh yeah, yes, I'm ready to go back too.
2: Yes, I've been to South Africa, and it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. I felt so at home.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
2: felt so welcomed. Uh, when I went through customs at, in, in Johannesburg, when we landed, uh, the young man, black man, African mm-hmm. man, uh, looked at my passport and read, you know, and then he stamped it and he says, Welcome home, sister. Mm-hmm. You've been gone a long time.
0: That was proud.
2: cry. It was just so, I said, Oh my God. And the others were experiencing this too. And then when we Got down into the the you know greeting area. There was a large group of African women,
3: mm-hmm.
2: South African women mainly, but others too, and they greeted us with dance and song, welcoming mm-hmm. us home. You know, not saying glad you're here for a visit, but no, welcoming us home. Mm-hmm. And to walk around in in uh, Cape Town and mm-hmm. in uh, Durban and all the and see black people.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: In the majority,
3: mm-hmm. including
2: at the church, uh, it was interesting. At the church, we met at the uh, cathedral. We met in his offices, the Archbishop and the uh, auxiliary bishop, and the auxiliary bishop was white. And but I don't hold that against him, but it just shows you what he, he said. He when they introduced me as a theologian. He looked at me, and he was—he was clearly very.
3: He said, "Why would you do that?" I remember looking at him and saying, "You can't be serious to ask mm.
2: why." I, you know, I said, "Well, why did you do it?" But I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, "I said because I want to work for God." Mm. You know, said, oh well. And then the Archbishop came in, who was a colored
3: man Mm -hmm.
2: and that's how he described himself because that's how they did it in those days you know but for the first time he was in charge as the archbishop and the white guy was Mm -hmm. an and they told him and he to my shock actually kneeled to me
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and thanked me for being and I remember I was just flabbergasted and everybody else was too he says you are wonderful to be doing this Mm -hmm. and then got up and hugged me. So Africa, oh, I'd Africa. like to go to all of, well, certainly all of South Africa, mm-hmm. you know, below the Sahara, but I'd like to go to Ethiopia and Egypt oh, too, too. So
0: That's Might mind. as
2: well say all of it.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Went to West Africa.
2: Yeah. Oh, good. It's, it's a beautiful yeah. country. I'm reading a wonderful book now that is looking at... uh world history from the perspective of Africa. The fact that uh, this lie has been uh, constantly taught that Africa was of no importance, when in actuality, you know, the Europeans and everything were all stealing every cent they could get from Africa. Mm-hmm. So it's really quite good.
1: Wow, thank you, Dr. Hayes. And now I'm curious about if if you could have a meal or a cup of coffee or tea uh with with one or two people uh, except than jesus <laughs> yeah uh who 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 you've never spoken to but wish you had who would you choose uh
2: well if if i can say one who i did speak to once i got his autograph but you know it wasn't a, a yeah. real conversation uh bobby kennedy mm-hmm. and martin king mm and get them to sit down together and talk. And I think they would have made a big difference if they hadn't been killed.
0: Yeah. And that could also inform your new book.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've already got two on the back burner. I'm trying desperately. I want to do a documentary history of womanist theology because I think we need it desperately. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got the Black Theology, two volumes. Yeah. And we needed two volumes of womanist theology as well.
0: Yeah. I could
2: never sit down long enough.
0: That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. So another question. Um, if you could wake up tomorrow and be an expert, and I know you have three doctors, <laughs> but be an in any additional discipline, what would you choose and why? History.
2: History. History. Yeah. Emphasis on African-American history. Mm-hmm. Yes. I already read everything I can on it, and it, it lays the foundation for what we're doing in theology. You, you have to know that history in order to be able to theologize, I think.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, history of the church, history of Blacks in Africa mm-hmm. and in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, history of the world in terms of what's going on and how did we get this way and why are we continuing uh, so history, yeah.
1: I love it. <laughs> I love what you say about, uh, by being this, please let me to know these, read right. that's, I-
2: I, that's exactly how <laughs> I read. A friend asked me the other day,
3: how do you find all these books?
2: I said, well, I'm looking for one. Mm-hmm. And then that's what Amazon does, you know. And, mm-hmm. If you like that, you might like these three. These six, Mm -hmm. I go, well, actually, I do like that one and that one, you know. And so, I go to buy one book and I end up with six.
1: (laughs) That sounds familiar.
2: Yeah, I keep telling myself I've got to stop buying books and concentrate on the reading. But
1: so wonderful. Oh, Dr. Hayes, this has been a real pleasure
2: talking with
1: you today. Thank you again for your wisdom. For your willingness, for your legacy uh, to yeah. so many, and um, and and for being with us in, in this uh, so life giving and enriching uh,
0: conversation. And we'd also like to thank you, the listener, for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation. And if you would like to help us, please share the podcast with others. Subscribe on your podcast player. Consider leaving a review. Um, and just connect with us more on com and on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds at Bridging Theology.